Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. Welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Drew. Say hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. It's been a long time since we've had a oh, hi. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I can only apologise, but I mean, you could you could just go watch The Room. Well, this is true. I mean, we'll, we'll do that afterwards. And you should? Yes. <laughs> In all its weirdness. And Aaron, say hi. Hi. Oh, that was... What's with <laughs> the plain intros? Where, where's, you know, Drew had some flair to his then. Well, I just I, thought I, I did I the same thing I always last... do. Is that still flair? It's it's a bit of flair. It's okay. outdated flair. I don't know. You know, hey, worn flair. I just thought that for the last two three weeks, I'd just give everyone a break from the nerdisms. No, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> well, what have you two been up to this week, Drew? Uh, so I have visited a few ponds. Oh, yeah. Um, saw some, we think, palmate newts, but we're not 100% sure. And we also think toad tadpoles, but we're not 100% sure. But I, I know toad, 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 uh, toad <laughs> tadpoles uh, remain black, whereas mm. frog tadpoles start black and then they uh, they get a bit speckly and brown. Um, so we think they were toad tadpoles. And then also today, I through my work uh, did a uh, a butterfly workshop. Um, oh, very so nice! Good. So went out um, learning to ID some some of the butterflies uh, that we have out on Exmoor. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was very good. Uh, so well, I was assured. I I couldn't tell because they're manic. Um, I, uh, we saw some high brown fritillaries, which are um, pretty unique to only a few parts of the UK, so you've got to go to particularly special places to uh, to actually see them. Um, and yeah, we were assured by the person who knew what they were doing that what we were looking at were high brand fertilities because they are they don't stop. They're, <laughs> on, they're on speed. They don't they don't stop. And when they do stop, it's literally just to dive in amongst a, uh, a bit of bracken and you don't see them. So yeah, it was very cool. Nice, Aaron. What have you been up to? Um, so I've uh, I've been up to quite a bit actually this week. Um, I took so so my daughter came home with this um this thing from school was like a, a nature scavenger hunt where it's uh, no, not, a, kind not of, a bug. No, <laughs> no, for a change. It's a, basically a, a table of different pictures um, of things like cartoon pictures of things she had to find things like a flying bird, a nest, feathers, bird poo. Uh, a flying beetle, um, sorry, a flying insect. Actually, it was. It's just that we were looking for beetles. Um, a red flower, blah 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 blah. All these kind of nature things. So we went to um, went out to the woods and then to the beach on this scavenger hunt ourselves. I thought I'm going to go one better than everyone else. I go a little bit deeper into it because of because of my background. I'll go out looking for these things with her and take a photo of her searching for these things and put it into a nice little um uh kind of like scrapbook um which you can look at when she's when she's older 
um we haven't got the scrapbook yet but i'm we have got a few photos to go in we've not finished the the hunt yet and then uh what else have been doing um uh surfing and rock climbing done a bit of that this week with with uh with my my family um atta's done very well with with both she she challenged herself climbing and, and managed to ace a particular challenge and um and uh and my daughter uh actually went out on the board with me she was actually on the uh on the actual surfboard with me when we surfed so that was cool um so yeah mm. cool well i i've got a show and tell moment for you for what i what doesn't I've work on a podcast <laughs> no i know really doesn't work on a podcast but imagine if you will uh dear listeners uh that i'm holding up something to the screen. He's not. Uh, He's so not. The other two can see. I'm, I'm we're we're having off. to imagine as well. <laughs> it's about the size of I don't know. What... It's, that's the size of a, oh. a, a a slightly stunted Malteser. That's um, a very stunted Malteser. It's kind of on yeah. a large larger LED. It's like LED, but larger kind of. Yeah, in fact, you know, it's one it's of one of those. One of those deformed Maltesers that you get in the packet. Gonna... You often get those in the little packet, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so sad about say, this one." But the I'm size of it. a Smartie or an M M&M. and M peanut M and M. Actually, I was going to say it's about the size of a small watch battery. Those little button batteries. Oh yeah, we've um, got very different points of reference. <laughs> what mm. was the closest thing I could think of? Um, but what I what I'm holding up so that you can see it there, uh, you two. Although I, I showed Drew uh, a moment ago before you mm. you appeared, Aaron. Um, mm. is a tiny, tiny ichthyosaur vertebra. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Did you, did you go fossil hunting, did you? We went fossil hunting for the first time with, with the child. Um, yeah. And he lasted all of about five minutes before that wasn't interesting. So <laughs> whilst there, we did do the usual bits, uh, but that wasn't the only fossil that we did manage to find. Got a nice, nice bit of coprolite there for you. Oh yeah, one of my favourites. Always, always worth finding a nice bit of fossil poo. I think the best kind of fossil. I mean, you know, what's not what's not to love? Grosses people out. It's got cool bits sticking out of it, whether it's uh, bits of fish or reptile or something. And uh, I still don't get why it grosses people out. They know what fossilized means, right? Don't they? <laughs> people still think that it's an actual piece of poo, but it's it's been. Very long since it was, you know, any kind of poo. But yeah. um, sadly, it is just like you can see it's been cracked and uh, is split in two. But it, the other half, I couldn't find. So, yeah, it's like, it's so, like yeah. when people are shown they're shown pictures of uh, of like of bacteria or sort of bugs that live on live on us or inside us, and they go, "Eh, <laughs> it's <laughs> been oh there God, the whole time. It's been on you the whole time. It's not going anywhere." It will be on you until you die. <laughs> it, it will be the reason you die. And by that point, you'd hope that you'd get used to it. Well, you know, it's uh, it just sort of talk talk to your bugs. Yeah. It's what makes you healthy. You know, without them, um, you you would not be able to digest food or do pretty much anything. Really, I think you wouldn't be able to make coprolite. Yeah, yeah, mm. just wouldn't happen. Well, it, that's that's basically well that and the the very sad news that we had a well we had we had a a, a rescued um, jackdaw last week. Yeah. This week we had a rescued herring gull. Unfortunately, yeah. um, had been attacked by a dog, 
Oh, dear. And was in relatively bad shape and didn't make it through the week. So, which is kind of sad because it was, it was plowing into the food. Um, you know, eating. Uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, though, his, uh, both of his legs were a bit too, um, badly, badly injured and couldn't stand. So, uh, yeah, ended up having to be put to sleep, sadly. Um, so, right. dogs and leads around seabirds, people. Yes, well, around most animals, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a uh, shame. Yeah, because he it was such a lovely chick. You know, it, this thing was was a decent size. It was eating well. Really, really nice bird. But there's just there's no reality of it being able to go back to the wild with two broken legs. Mm, no, just not really. Properly. So mm. yeah, should we move on from sad stories and head on Probably. into the news? Probably. Yeah, why not? Well, well, there's probably far more sad stories. Uh, well, I've, I've, uh, I'm not so sure I about I, that. I haven't got any. Let's, Let's do go. it. It's the news! Right, well, we're into this week's news. Aaron, What's on the newsreel? As regular cover dwellers will know, here in the Natural History Cover, we like to keep you all updated on the big news coming out of the weird and wonderful world of natural sciences. But we don't always get time to get through all of them, so let's jump on into that Natural History Cover newsreel and bring you all up to speed. Gareth, take it away. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I get to start with good news, I suppose. Um, it's been a good week for, uh, for new dinosaur discoveries. Uh, but the one I went with was uh, Isle of Wight, new dinosaur species discovered. The fossilized remains of a previously unknown type of dinosaur have been found on the Isle of Wight. It is the first new species of armored dinosaur to be found on the island since 1865 and belongs uh, in the same family as Ankylosaurus. Well, technically it's a nodosaur, but it's an Ankylosaurid. But anyway, BBC. Um, it, it's been called Vectopelta barati. Nice. Uh, and then from Norfolk Live, uh, the headline is Rare Rainbow Birds Return to Cromer Nesting Spot for a Second Year in a Row. So this marks the first time that bee eaters, uh, so it's European bee eaters, have returned to the UK to the same nesting site the second year in a row. Whilst there is excitement about this because they are uh, incredible, beautiful birds, there's also mm. concern about why the exotic birds are now nesting here instead of their favoured Mediterranean habitats, uh, which is a clear impact of climate change. Wow, they're beautiful birds. I'd love to see those. Um, but yeah, frightening reasons Wait, gotta go. why. Got to go Norfolk. Um, yeah, so amid melting glaciers, Swiss vote on a new climate law. This news comes to us via viz.org online which reports on the rapidly melting Swiss glaciers impressing upon lawmakers the importance of protecting the environment in the legal and political fields. The new climate bill voted through on Sunday aims to curb the damage by pushing the country to carbon neutrality. Mm. Well, uh, I've got Deer Culls credited with Green Lock Woodland Recovery. Uh, controls on deer numbers have led to woodland regeneration around the Cairngorms Green Lochen. Uh, according to Forestry and Land Scotland. At Lochan Uane, south of Aviemore, uh, it's one of the area's best-known locks because of its emerald-coloured water. Uh, but this has changed over the years um, because of the amount of deer. But deer culls have allowed the woods in the 
Ryoven Pass, uh, which overlooks the Lochen, uh, to flourish. The pub agency said photographs taken in 1984 and the present day showed the scale of the recovery. Uh, Lochewen, uh, meaning the green Lochen, gets its color from the sun reflecting minerals in the rocks in and around the loch. And according to folklore, the color is the result of fairies washing their clothes uh, in the loch of a night. Imagine what you could do if you were, if you, instead of Cullen, you had wolves there to to control their behavior as well as their numbers. But sorry, Drew, you can carry on. And how do the fairies get their, their clothes so clean? That's what we need to find out as well. Well, yes. Anyone's guess, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, so next from the Independent, San Francisco Airport hires cats to calm travelers. So this is about a fourteen-year-old uh, cat <laughs> named uh, named Duke Ellington Morris, or oh, just Duke. Name for a cat. <laughs> Poor cat. Um, so he is the latest member of San Francisco International Airport's Wag Brigade. Uh, those aren't footballers' wives, thankfully, uh, to help calm nervous flyers because they they wouldn't do that. So Luke, uh, Duke was a, a rescued feral uh, since adopted and certified as a therapy animal. And the WAC Brigade program was first launched uh, by the California airport in 2013 with the aim of using animals to help soothe anxious travelers. Nice. And from Live Science Online, 3.2 million-year-old human ancestor Lucy had massive leg muscles to stand up straight and climb trees. New research oh, used... <laughs> she was thick. Didn't skip leg day. <laughs> Did not skip the leg day, no. Uh, new research using 3D modeling suggests that Australopithecus afarensis were able to climb trees, but likely walked upright more akin to us than chimpanzees. Lucy's fossils remain the best preserved examples of her species to be discovered and offer key insights into hominid evolution. And here I'm going to try and butcher some words here. Uh, can you spot the Fazu Kokomohono? That's the Zulu for red crested cuckoo to me and you. Uh, oh, yeah. Or that's probably the badly pronounced uh, attempt at that word. A 10 year project to name all of South Africa's birds uh, in the evocative uh, Isulu language is finally giving a voice to indigenous communities. Uh, Until nice. recently, uh, a Zulu speaker who spotted something like a Cape Gannet would have no choice but to refer to the majestic seabird but by its uh, non-Zulu name. However, now the Gannet, which can plunge into the ocean at speeds of 120 kilometers per hour uh, when hunting, uh, has finally got a Zulu name that does it justice. It's the Isik Imba Manzi, which means the spear into the water. So project that's naming all all of South Africa's birds in its native languages. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Uh, and then from <coughs> the Daily Express, sorry. Being sick there. It's, uh... oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that you'll, you'll see why this has come from the Daily Express, or why I picked this article, because uh, it's the idiot one. Uh, big cat spotted prowling UK village by delivery yeah, driver, but, <laughs> but... Is it in Gloucestershire? <laughs> but his wife thinks it's just a cat. Spoilers, she's right. Uh, I've just sent you guys the link to that article, by the oh, way, so yeah. you can. Um, oh, I suppose you can increase the Daily Express's traffic, which is not ideal. But you can see a picture of that. Whoa! Of that cat. Whoa! What a monster. So, a delivery Ooh. driver was 
petrified after seeing what he believes was a big cat. Uh, he thinks there's a lynx uh, prowling around, I quote, in Wales. <laughs> Amateur big cat sleuths have chipped in with their theories about what the creature could be, with some saying Jesus. it's a leopard. Oh, the driver, my. Said, <laughs> the driver said, I don't want to say it was as big as a toddler. It was even bigger because we all know toddlers are huge. And well, some... that's how the scale works. You can... yeah, 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 it's a good toddler, measuring instrument. Is it, yeah. is football. it smaller or bigger than a toddler? Well, Just give me a, a good idea of how massive this thing is. Um, uh, and he's now convinced there are big cats roaming around the British countryside. So having seen the picture, uh, all of you guys, which is relatively clear, actually, mm-hmm. um, I would say that is a savannah cat, uh, which is an unethical, I, I would like argue, that. hybrid of a domestic uh, cat bred with a, a serval, an African an African species of cat. Would you guys probably say that was... Because it looks like a savannah cat, but it's got quite yes. a short tail. Yeah, yeah. It's tail There is... There is a savanna cat element to it. I wonder if have you seen a Bengal cat? Now that's no, not that's maybe. not it's not a um it sounds very exotic, it's not, it's a domestic cat. Um yeah. just got very beautiful patterns. Uh it looks like it's got an element of uh I've I've seen a I've seen like a mongrel, a Bengal mixed with a tabby, and it looked mm. very, very similar to that. Um obviously can't look, really judge size you know. without a toddler to hand, but no, no, no. Well, you can't, can you? It's impossible. <laughs> well, looking at it, I would say you're probably right, Aaron. I, th- I think it is Bengal cat. There's, I, I, I can definitely see where Drew's coming from too, though. So I think I'm somewhere yeah. between the, those kind of ideas. It's interesting well, that actually way, in the article it, they, they do mention they cat. do mention Savannah and Bengal, um, oh. more of a large domestic cat. It does uh, towards mm. the end. You've got to read all the rubbish first and then at the end it says <laughs> oh another thought was that the the animal was uh it could just be this very simple thing <laughs> oh well there you go <laughs> thought you might enjoy that well uh, moving on to the bbc online seahorse discovered in rare harwich harbour sighting so a monitoring pot located just outside harwich harbour in essex has scored a rare find indeed in the form of a short snouted seahorse the species are usually found in estuaries and shallow waters where the seagrass meadows thrive but i'm sure there's a so- there's a song lyric in there somewhere i reckon um but, but no seahorse has ever been recorded off the coast of essex wonder why <laughs> No offence. The specimen was alive and well and promptly returned to its habitat. Oh, and and that will do it for this week's Natural History Covered Newsreel. Guys, if you have a news story you want us to cover, send it in and you might see your chosen topic or news article covered here or as our main topic. And with that said, we'll dive into that main topic now uh, where it's actually on me. um, And my article today is about cloning. And the headline is, Can Cloning for an endangered species back from the brink. Now, the reason why I chose this article, just for as a bit of background, is cloning is a very difficult thing to do, a very difficult endeavor, uh, very shocked. rarely successful. Uh, I know Star Wars fans will be shocked um, with all the clones running around in that. However, uh, when you look at things like Dolly, and there are a few other examples, well, there's lots of other examples, but... Dolly is not the best example of longevity as as far as I remember. Dolly was a sheep, by the way, for those that don't know. But yeah, cloning is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly expensive. Um, it's also a very controversial uh, topic. And so it's never really been uh, used 
in in a way a means to um to to aid in the fight for conservation but a uh, a new birth at San Diego Zoo's Wildlife Alliance has uh, meant that they are now welcoming a Shavolsky horse foal. Now, this is an endangered species with an increase in population uh, at the moment, which is, is good news, obviously. Uh, but the foal is named Trey. He's a clone of Kuporovich, who is a stallion, and his cells were cryonically preserved in the 1980s. He's a genetic uh, Trey. This is the the new the newborn. Uh, he's a genetic twin of Kurt, who was the first ever Shavolsky's horse clone back in 2020, uh, and he was cloned himself by Wildlife Alliance, Viagen, Revive, and Restore. Uh, the latter is a genetic rescue organization um, that aims to look at ways that this kind of science can be used to to protect species. So there's potentially landscape changing achievement in many ways uh, because it's the second clone of an endangered species so no other endangered species has been uh, has been attempted it's hoped to uh, introduce lost genetic diversity uh, because the wild populations are literally uh, surviving by inbreeding which as we all know is not sustainable long term uh, but there are obviously I some... don't know the royal families I think well yeah. to say about that because they're still going <laughs> This is not without issues, though. Not without issues, it would seem. <laughs> what, the years? Sorry? The years? The years? No, the not... The years. The years. Oh, the years. Sorry, <laughs> if we said the years. Well, the, the, the years have been doing quite well on years, I'd say, at the moment. But yeah, it's it it. there is problems to this. Uh, for one thing, do the Shavosky's horse, realistically, do they still have habitat to reclaim? Uh, whilst the horse is sacred to Mongolia, it's been pushed into these eastern reaches of its uh of its pre or of its kind of ice age uh habitat uh so post ice age problems such as good weather uh shrinking steps expanding forest uh also pressures put on them by us farming mining um and also just i said about good weather but also harsher winters uh, these are all things that have uh, kind of pushed them to the to the eastern parts of their former range they were extinct or considered functionally extinct by 1969 just slightly before this in the 1950s there were only 12 in zoos um so very small population wild and captive this created essentially a catastrophic genetic bottleneck by the mid 70s with intensive breeding and lack of exchange between collections causing major issues to the genetic diversity so a stub book was created in 1977 now, despite the genetic issues, they managed to go from functionally extinct to critically endangered by 2008. They then went from critically endangered to endangered in 2011. So they are doing very well. And there are now 2,000 horses in the world. That, that's mm -hmm. wild and captive inclusive. So this is a massive conservation victory, but it does hang on a knife edge due to that low genetic diversity. Essentially, a disease could enter the... Uh, the, the populations and and wipe them out very quickly so can cloning save the day it's a two-fold concept because obviously you're trying to the the obvious part benefit to cloning is that you're trying to increase numbers but as i've kind of suggested it, it would be a slow process but one of the more important and often overlooked elements to this is that i've already mentioned it briefly is introducing lost genetics so this stallion that was that had yeah. its cells cryonically preserved he 
has genetics that the wild populations and indeed probably the captive populations haven't had around for at least a decade, maybe two, three decades. So you're looking at reintroducing genetics. So you're, you're, you're kind of boosting diversity within the, within the gene pool. However, what it doesn't do is tackle issues such as environmental issues. So like loss of habitat and human interference uh, so if this is to be successful, oh, this, is, this is all up and down, Aaron. It is all up and think. down. I don't know what to think anymore. Uh, I'm following you each time, oh yes, it's good. Oh no, it's, bad. it's good. Oh no, it's, it's great. Oh, it's no, good. It's bad. It's bad. So what, yeah, roller coaster. It's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? If and that's before we even get into the ethics of it. But Uh-oh. basically, if this is to be successful in the battle against extinction, uh, genetic samples of similarly threatened species must be taken now. Uh, and any delay can be correlated to potential species loss. Um, this is a conversation that I've had with with one of my, in fact, with one of my f- first employers uh, who didn't believe that that cloning would would have a place in conservation. Um, I personally, I can see the, uh, we'll get into the ethics of it, but if you take the ethics out of it, um, I can see there being a place for it. Not a silver bullet, though. It's important to understand that the funds for cloning were never going to go to conservation. So it isn't taking financial resource away from living individuals or indeed other struggling species. I mentioned that uh, because you often hear when people say about cloning mammoths or cloning uh, cloning t- even tigers, something like a tiger that's still around today. Oh, you should just put the money into the living ones. This money was never going to. This money is for cloning and actually... Mm-hmm. Uh, the um the companies at least one if not all the companies involved with this one organizations i should say involved in the the clone of this shavosky horse uh tray they were actually being funded by people who kind of are interested and supported in it uh sorry support cloning and, and want to see where it goes so uh important to take note of that now just to briefly cover the philosophy philosophical side of this You've got uh, problems such as exploitation. So it can be exploited. Uh, you, can, you can be cloning animal, endangered animals for scientific research or indeed non-invasive, sorry, non-endangered uh, or, or even domestic animals for scientific research. Is that really fair? Uh, you could be cloning them for food resources, clone farming. Yeah, that, burgers. That's not very clean either. Um, and then obviously Wait, you can also Chavalsky's horse milk. <laughs> oh. God, alternative milks are back. Clone Still. milk. Clone milk. That's clone milk. Yeah. just just un 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 unflavored clone undefined milk. clone milk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you've also it's got from a clone or something. You've also got the risk of of them being farmed for other consumer based resources. Um, there is also. argument for a slippery slope problem where it might affect the uh concepts of of human cloning which is currently banned and one of the things that comes to mind when you think of how how would this affect it is you could end up going down the route of organ donor farming which is it wouldn't be great either uh but on the plus side you've got de-extinction um now you could in theory de-extinct the phylocene but there was also an argument you could also argue that that is exploiting the cloning technology too, to an extent. 
But uh, yeah, it, it, you've also got religious influence. So Hindus, Jews and Muslims, they seem to be rather flexible. In general, they think it's immoral, but they do make an exception. If it's the sole route of reproduction, then they seem to be a little bit more like lenient. Uh, Hindus and Muslims are more relaxed towards the cloning of certain non-human animals, uh, but not all. And then Christians predictably are completely inflexible and absolutely find it immoral to even entertain the idea. Uh, you've then got political and scientific influences, such as anti-human cloning, non-human animal cloning. They're, they're very mixed upon that. Um, with regards to conservation, the general consensus uh, in as of 2013 is that it will never be a useful tool in the fight. That is an opinion that is 10 years old. Uh, the technology has come a long way and the understanding of conservation has come a long way as well, whether you're talking about habitat conservation or species. So I will open the floor up to you guys. Tell me what you guys think. Uh, do, you see a, uh, do you see a use for this? I mean, I do and I don't. Um, cloning's got its definite downsides in that uh, you are copying that animal. It, it yeah you end up with a lot of issues coming across. Um, but for, well, for bringing a bloodline in that may not be there, it may be the uh, the best option. But I think it's, it's proven to be far too uh, cost ineffective and also troublesome to be used on a wider scale. What they'd need to be looking at more is, is things like CRISPR and gene editing and, and things like that to, uh, to try and do stuff, I think. Mm. I don't have a huge amount, to be honest, as what uh, to add. As uh, different from what you guys have already said, um, as Gareth said, if it's if it's to add extra genetics that have since been lost to time, then that can only be a good thing, really. But yeah, uh, that the actual the actual how you do that, um, if it involves in, in cloning, yeah, obviously is incredibly expensive, and maybe there are cheaper ways of. Uh, of doing, I don't know how, but obviously we we don't know what the what future technology may uh, bring about that may be cheaper and maybe uh, more efficient and more ethical. I am just googling something real quick. Yeah, okay, found it. That's found what dangerous. I was looking for. Um, well, it only if you don't know what you're googling for. <laughs> oh, um, I frequently don't. Before I bring uh, this 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 uh, this member of royalty. Uh, I mean, genuine, true royalty. Cloning royalty. Before I bring her up. Well, that's actually what I'm going to suggest, but um, bear with me. Hmm. I see cloning working when you're doing something very similar to what these guys have done. You are taking an individual who, who uh, uh, I would say is a bit troublesome when it comes to Shafrovsky's horses because of the genetic bottleneck they experienced. I'd also suggest it's probably quite difficult to do this with cheetahs for the same reason. In fact, if I, uh, right, I might be remembering this incorrectly, but I think, I think all cheetahs genetically, uh, may as well be twins. I think it got that bad at one point. It certainly is very, very close to the to that. Um, point. yeah, I don't know if it is anymore, but it, it certainly, I, I think it was pretty bad at one point. Um. My problem, my problem with uh, with with cloning is pretty much what you said, Gareth. Like the expense, but also just how much of a long process it is just to get the one. So I, what I see is cloning uh, as beneficial if you're taking an individual who is genetically important, whether that's zoo born or wild born, uh, and cloning that 
uh, with the intent of of using those genetics in in the wild. I'm not so sure I ha that I feel the same about uh, cloning to to improve genetics in captivity, because I think that the role of zoos as genetic reservoirs with their breeding programs should really be pushed to just relying on those reservoirs. I think cloning individuals for for genetic diversity should be restricted to to wild uh, populations. That being said, I'm going to come back to cloning in a minute because, like I say, there's a a a, a royal royal member of 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 the world who should who should be. Who, I think there's an argument for cloning. Um, but before I do, so that there's something that genetics and and uh, brain wise, I think should be explored a little bit further before we start relying too heavily on cloning, uh, and that is freezing the sperm and eggs. Um, I mean, freezing sperm, using tigers as an example, it'll become relevant why in a minute, I suppose. But um, but when is it not relevant for me to bring up tigers? Uh, I you, say, you said it. I say freeze the sperm and the eggs of of any captive. When you cat, when when you um, when you trank wild specimens to to put radio collars on them, take take blood samples, take sperm samples or egg samples, freeze them, take cells freeze them, uh, get them cryonically preserved so that you can use them for cloning if you have to with the cells. Or what I would argue is use them to make uh, tiger cubs in vitro. So test test to tiger cubs, basically, so that you can boost the population that way. That That's that's where I see genetics uh, and that kind of, that, you know, reproductive sciences coming into play in a, in a in a more efficient role in conservation in a minute please feel free to, to agree or disagree but that that's where i see it now the member of royalty that i think should be claimed is do you guys know the name mackley yeah it was the tigress who'd given birth to uh god loads of cubs wasn't it exactly a funeral and that's also- right yeah so she's a she's she's an indian t- uh, tiger from 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 Rathambore National Park, and her name has always stood out in my mind because, uh, because she's just such a fantastic m- mother. Um, now, there is an element here where nurture comes into play. Now, she was probably a good mother because she had a good mother herself. However, the bit that might be important to genetics is that she was obviously very fertile because she was able to bring she had strong genetics too because not only was she able to reproduce uh and and uh and and give birth to so many cubs but she was able to give birth to strong cubs like good litters that that went on to to survive um so yes there's an element of nurture as to whether she would be a good mother but genetically speaking you could reproduce an, an animal that potentially had has the i mean cloning and 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 that is not my my forte so i could be well off base with this but potentially you're cloning an animal that has the genetics for for breeding well at the very least so that's a start yeah Yeah. that's very true um i mean sorry 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 i think the the best route to go down really is is um trying to use it as much as we can in the wild and preserving those that have individual traits that could be of use yeah well there we have it guys to be honest i thought that <laughs> i thought that there might be a bit more cloning is such a controversial thing and i'm so 
personally, I'm so on the fence with it in that I can see its uses, but I think it's a lot of effort for very little yield. Um, but I was hoping it was such a controversial concept that at least one of you might disagree really heavily with me. But it seems that you're you're all on board with with kind of what where I stand. So I I think we should just before we start yeah. beating a dead horse and repeating ourselves, let's just go on with it. That's of course one of the risks when you when you're just taking one one article to to discuss more is that that occasionally it it's it's not going to be much to talk about. But uh, but yeah, do you, just out of interest, before we do close on this topic, do you guys remember Dolly? Because because I I my mm -hmm. memory of Dolly the sheep is really vague, um, and I can't remember what happened to her. I know she didn't I last know. long, did she? No, no, she died no. of I think a cancer. Yeah. To be fair, it was it was very early days. Um, but but yeah. Okay, we'll move on then. Uh, and next <laughs> next week, I think we've already got uh, an article lined up for next week, if I'm not mistaken. But I won't spoil what that is. Uh, it does sound like a good one, so we'll uh... and we'll we'll try and disagree more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Sorry, yeah, we'll try to. Well, I, I honestly, I'm ignorant really when it comes to cloning. So I, I'm I, like you, completely on the fence. So I, I, yeah, I, I just listen to what other what kind of other people say and sort of go. Go from there. Form an opinion from that. But yeah, I'm. I don't know. No, that's, we'll, we'll that's, see. That's we'll see what the future holds. This is only the second time that we've 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 done the news in this way. So it's, you know, it's it's good to to learn. Right. Well. Um. Yeah. We'll try and disagree more next time. <laughs> so uh, let's let's agree or let's disagree to agree to disagree, and head yeah. on into our creature feature, shall we? No. Yes. No. Maybe. Maybe. No. It's the Creature Feature. Right, well, we're into this week's Creature Feature, and it's Drew's. We've not had one for a while. Drew, what have you got for us? No, you've not had one for probably a good two months, if probably more than that. So, we've got a weird one. We've got a very weird boy this week. So, throughout human history, we have imagined, we've depicted and drawn uh, the animals that we share our wonderful home with uh, all these lovely environments with some of these depictions are i mean quite frankly hilarious because if you google funny medieval animal drawings uh, you oh, can you can see that for yourself they're just they're just so good so good you could waste days you could waste days just on google images for for that because the artist is they've either seen the animal and then they've just sort of remembered it badly or someone has described it badly to them um, and then sometimes when real life isn't good enough for some reason, uh, we've created chimeras that are all clearly fictional as well. So whilst it seems like I'm dumping uh, on a, a lot of these artists, I, I do find their drawings fascinating uh, as it gives us a, a unique window into the mindset of those who came before us. But my actual point is that as bizarre as these ancient depictions may be, like whales with um, crocodile legs and fish pin-like ears, Elephants with trunks like a Henry Hoover attachment and leopards suffering from chronic angst and depression. The animal this feature, you've all seen them, uh, the animal this feature is about could outweird all of these. And one of the great mm -hmm. tragedies of this world, I believe, is that this animal went extinct long before the Middle Ages, meaning that people who couldn't even draw a domestic cat accurately never had a chance at drawing this thing, which I would have loved to have seen. So what is this animal? So this animal is a true chimera, uh, or as true as you can get to one, really. We're going to meet it 
um not really so much of a role play session but we're, we're going to go back in time we're going to use that time machine that we keep meeting ourselves in um <laughs> and potentially fracturing the fabric of reality uh yeah. We're going to go uh, back in time to the middle Miocene around 12-ish million years ago. So we're walking along the coast of the Mediterranean. Recently, a few million years before our escapade, uh, the Arabian Peninsula collided with Eurasia, which closed up the Mediterranean from the, uh, the Indian Ocean. This collision allowed the dispersal of creatures from Africa into Europe and Asia and vice versa. Uh, the natural law we call hindsight uh, which looks back at what we've done and judges it unfavorably, agrees that this collision was a bad move on the Earth's part, as it later allowed the upright monkeys, which include the worst individuals to have ever existed, to wanna <laughs> wander unobstructed out of Africa and into Eurasia. These idiot monkeys, of course, would one day attempt to destroy everything that is good and pure in this world uh, by digging out fossilized life forms and setting fire to them, as well as an inventing awful horrible things like jet skis marmite us plug sockets and the name bryce but in... <laughs> i'm not sorry to anyone listening who's called bryce oh i am sorry for you but i'm not sorry for what i said but in the time period we're visiting uh, that hasn't happened yet so everything is fine so the world of the miocene is cooler than it was in the uh, oligocene before it uh, but it's still warm and more so than it will be in up and coming uh, epochs so trees and forests were becoming less abundant. Uh, they were taken over by grasses with grazing animals quick on their tail. The fauna and flora we see around generally weren't too dissimilar, and in some cases near identical to what we have today. So the canids, bears, red pandas, prosynids, equids, beavers, deer, camelids, whales, crows, ducks, plovers, owls, and cockatoos, to name just a few, across all the world uh, in this period of time are pretty much recognizable to us. Uh, but there are some exceptions. And on the edge of the woodland, we spot a great beast reaching up to the canopy with clawed hands, pulling down a branch to its horse-like mouth to consume the leaves. It's sitting there, chill as you like, nearly three meters tall, with stump a stumpy hoofed back legs and a pot belly. Now, the three of us already know what this thing is, uh, but let's, let's just imagine that we are the first people to ever discover it. What, what would you guys like to say? Likey. <laughs> Crikey. Crikey. Yes. I think that's probably as good as we may get. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as I said, even the wildest creatives of our medieval brethren or ancient brethren would have been hard pressed to imagine what we're looking at. Um, it's not mythological. It's not a hybrid monster. It is a Calicotherium. And its lineage, the, Cal uh, the Calicotheres, has been around a good 34 million years by this point all across Eurasia, Africa, and North America. And that lineage will continue up until about 800,000 years from present day. Uh, so, very uh, so very recent, geologically speaking. So ever since the discovery of Calicotherium, scientists have been shrugging their shoulders and asking, what is this and how does it even? A bit like how we question how do magnets even work? Of course, when we look at a prehistoric animal, their behavior can often be difficult to decipher. Uh, many people struggle to decipher the behavior of a living, breathing animal right in front of them that they've known for years, like some dog owners. Am I possibly right there, Aaron? Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, alone, let alone something that's been long dead. So when it comes to this, scientists have only two things to guide them. Um, what nature has left behind for them to discover uh, in regards to fossils, and also comparing the animal to what is around today. And that's where Calicotheas throw a spanner in the works. 
they are nothing like anything around today, or at least nothing like any one animal around today. So they're actually perissodactyls, which, if we all remember, are what are also called old-toed ungulates, like modern-day horses, rhinoceroses, and tapirs. Uh, separate from artiodactyls, the even-toed ungulates, which include basically all other hoofed mammals, as well as whales and dolphins, because science. Uh, this means, despite all the other things going on with Calicotherium, it's the horse-like head that betrays its true lineage. But it's because of all this other stuff that we're not really going to work out its behavior if we just base it on a horse or a rhino or a tapir. So as I said, it's a chimera. Uh, they show features of lots of animals. It essentially looks like a horse ape. They have the aforementioned horse's head, a uh, long neck. Uh, we're not talking giraffe long, though. Uh, long muscled forelegs bearing large, devastating looking hooked claws and very short three hoofed back legs. Uh, very short, particularly when comparing them to the front legs. Uh, the walking stance is much like that of a gorilla with long arms, sloped back and short back legs. And also like gorillas and anteaters and giant ground sloths, uh, they walk on their knuckles. Uh, at least this particular Calicothea does. The later Calicotheas stopped doing this because reasons. Uh, we know they walked like this because of pad-supporting bony growths on the dorsal side, uh, so the top side of the manual phalanges. It would make sense that uh, for it to be like this, as it would keep the claws from wearing down so they could use them for uh, forage collecting or possibly as a defensive weapon. Again, just like my favourite boys, the anteaters. Uh, callocytes are also present on the animal's haunches. Uh, that's In layman terms, that's its arse. So we can imagine this animal acted quite a lot like a panda, sitting around uh, on its butt a lot, reaching up to vegetation and pulling it down towards its mouth. Uh, it's a nice, easy lifestyle. The claws were initially believed to be for digging up tubers and roots, but their teeth tell a different story. So the story their dentition tells is that they were browsers, which shows similar wear like that of a modern-day browsing animal. Uh, but different calicotheas browse differently. Our calicotherium likely ate a lot of nuts, seeds, and hard fruits, Others ate soft fruits, and others, uh, particularly the North American calicotheas, ate mostly leaves, twigs, and bark. Again, uh, as always when looking at prehistoric fauna, much of what we understand is a very educated guess, so we can be pretty sure, but not certain uh, in all circumstances. Mm. And we're always awaiting new evidence to present itself, so you know, all of this could be absolute rubbish in a few years' <laughs> times. Who knows? So what happened to calicotheas? Because despite their weirdness, they were around for a, quite a long time as we discussed, uh, whether that be in the form of the knuckle-dragging ape horse or a digitigrade horse ape, and in varying sizes from small to some of the biggest animals around. But how come they aren't around now? How come they didn't get to blow medieval artists' minds? Do either of you guys know why Calicotheus disappeared? I would assume it's something to do with the climactic change at the end. Uh, I would have said habitat and climactic change, yeah. yeah. Uh, also... More efficient predators, maybe, as well, actually. What? Yeah. Uh, the truth is, we don't know. Oh. We don't wow. really know. <laughs> Not fully. Again. Sorry. Good. No, well, no. Good is answers. Because we landed on, we accidentally landed on one in the time machine, and that was the one that was going to keep the lineage going. And that was it. I, well, I've been told that these sonic booms need to stop. Yeah. Well, I, I would rather it was we don't know rather than the three of us did it so <laughs> this is true so, so maybe let's keep that quiet outside of this this episode um <laughs> so uh yeah the, the, we, we don't really know but again those answers are, are as reasonable as any 
maybe they were just outcompeted also by other hoofed animals that were less experimental but we we just mm. don't know and uh i'll have to leave it at that a very disappointing conclusion but but and it's a big one are calicothea is actually extinct have you guys ever heard of the nandy bear the nandy bear the i've nandy heard bear. the name i don't know what anything about it though no uh. So in African folklore, the Nandi bear lives in East Africa and it takes its name from the Nandi people who live in Western Kenya. I, mm-hmm. I didn't really read into that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so descriptions of it are of a ferocious, powerfully built carnivore with high front shoulders and a sloping back. It's nocturnal. It stands on its hind legs and it's said to scalp people because that's obviously the most efficient way of killing someone and then eating them. So in 1923... Charles William Andrews, a British, obviously with a name like that, paleontologist, mm. suggested that the Nandi bear may be a surviving represent, uh, representative of the extinct Calicotheus. And in the 1930s, Lewis Leakey said, Charles, you idiot. Though the descriptions matched that of a Calicothea, they were herbivorous. Uh, that isn't a direct quote. Uh, I'm sure in the 1930s, you would have been more eloquent with that. The proper roast. I do say you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was later abandoned, um, unfortunately, because I, I like the idea of a still living calicothea that's just gone completely rogue, just completely changed its diet. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I think it'd the... almost be more likely it's a leftover uh, Atlas bear that somehow got very, very, very lost down into Kenya. Yeah, well, there's a few more quotes here, but so in in 2000, paleontologist Lewis L. Jacobs commented that if Calicotheas existed now, they would have been found out just like the giant forest hog was. And, I quote, if there is anything to the Nandi bear story besides imagination, I suspect it may be the word of mouth descriptions of gorillas passed across the continent from areas where they live to areas where they do not. Um, And the sloped back carnivore also may refer to whatever African animal. Hyena? Yeah, yeah, spotted hyenas Mm. in particular. Um, so close, but no calicothea, as the popular saying goes. And um, and there we go, really. That's pretty much it on the calicothea. It's a bit of a short one. It's a uh, the feature that is not the actual animal. Uh, it's a it's a strange but fascinating animal. Uh, the poster boy for the mammalian weird teenage experimental period, and sadly not with us any longer because, well, because teenagers grow up and they stop, <laughs> and unfortunately they get normal. But we we do look back on those years with possibly an element of nostalgia to times when we were carefree, but also with an air of what the hell were we thinking? And that's basically the Calicothea. Hmm. Very cool. A species Very cool. That I, I'm assuming, Drew, your your first real encounter with it was, was uh, walking with Don't Beaver. mention it. Uh, there it is. Oh, is that... Do you not want us to mention walking with beasts? Yeah, why? Oh no, no, sorry. I thought you were gonna say something that angers Drew like on the the well, mere thought no. of the uh idea. Oh oh arc. <laughs> uh no 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 that wasn't my first no yeah, walking with beasts was my first foray into Calicathea. All about that Calicathea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, well there was there was two. There was the there was the Calicotherium, which is one that I've just been chatting about, but there was also Ancylotherium as well. He was in a later yeah. episode with the um uh with the Ostrich with the Lucys. Um mm. Yeah, and the, the the thick Lucy's. We're sorry, we should say, 
and almost fitting <laughs> that that news article was yeah. in the time of your uh, creature feature and and horse cloning as well because we've got mm. basically a horse ancestor here oh, or yeah, a horse relative whole, sorry I should say that whole walking with beasts and that that episode of it as uh, well as in Drinketheers which were the the uh, the largest members of the the sort of horse tapiary yeah. family so yeah yeah. Like, yeah they got very experimental and big very big just out of interest, my own selfish interest, but I say it on like yeah. during this recording because it's. I it's don't so think good that I don't that think they were I used as, like... uh, as siege weapons. Just so you know, just like they are. <laughs> no, no, no. I was I was going to ask, do you guys know of a way that you can watch Walking with Beast today legally? I'm fairly <laughs> sure it's. Is it not on YouTube? Probably, maybe, maybe. But I just thought I'd ask because I haven't seen it in a long time. I'd like to see somewhere. if it stands up. Um, but also, I, I'd I'd recommend I'd recommend our listeners going and watching all Walking with Dinosaurs, Walking with Beasts. Uh, was it Walking with Beasts? Did the Sea Monsters with Nigel Marvin as well? Yeah, 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 yep, it was yep, one. Yep, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm fairly sure. I think it might be on YouTube. I'll be honest, because my partner and I watched it not very recently, but not that long ago. Uh, we watched mm. all of them, and I'm fairly sure it was on YouTube that um, that we saw them. I think they, I think they're basically cut into small, like four or five minute videos. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you 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 just you just watch a playlist basically. Mm. And go find your Calica fears. Well, there you there. go. That's yeah. that's your homework, everybody. Go and go and watch Walking with Beasts. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go and get my VHS copy out from the attic. <laughs> oh yeah. And try oh, yeah. shut force it into a DVD player. Or do you still yeah, I don't have a VHS player anymore. I'm just going to no. look at it. I'd be interested to know where you where you stopped it though. If you sure. stopped it right at yeah, the end, yeah. or if you if you open up and you go, oh, why did I stop it here? What <laughs> what occurred at this point that made yeah, me what, stop? What this? moment in time was that? There yeah. are list. There are li- people listening to us who won't know what VHS is, or at least will know of it, but we've never touched one. No. They they don't know the joy of rewinding manually. Oh, it's not joyful. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those it's like not, oh, no, so it's... nostalgic. It's not. It was awful. No, it's, it's not. rubbish. Just use use yeah. a DVD or it's... use use a streaming thing. It's so much better. It was a pain in the so backside. much better. Yeah. Anyway, shall we move on from this uh, nostalgia? Because you know we're, we're going to start talking about uh, VHS, yeah, yeah. which is almost as old as a calicateer, and head on into our mailbag for this week. I'm fairly sure they used them. They'd be quite good at rewinding them, wouldn't they, with the little claws? <laughs> with the claws, yeah. Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right, well, we're into this week's uh, mailbag, and we'll start things off with last week's listener question that we uh, we asked you. Uh, and it was based on the fact that somebody has been using a beluga whale as an animal spy. What animal would you like to use as a spy? We've got some uh, quite... Creative uh, responses. L. Mark Weeks said a fly, uh, as it's on the wall. Oh. Uh, Lindsay Kinsella has said a duck, just so he can be called James Pond. Yeah, I think I laughed at that one when I I read that one. Well, I think it's it's the obvious sort of duck-based one. I'm I'm disappointed by that. I think think you're better than that. Fair enough. I think we all are. Uh, Jess has put a peregrine. Imagine the camera angle and terror you'd capture as a spy peregrine stoops towards the target at 240 miles per hour. Yeah. I mean, 
it's just going to be a lot of very scared faces as all of a sudden this camera comes out of nowhere at you. Someone's watched James Bond too much, though, because spies generally don't get involved in the action. They're more of a kind of espionage, kind of reconnaissance kind of thing. I don't think Jess has seen a single James Bond, I'll be honest. (laughs) Is it it your Jess? I didn't realise it was your Jess. I should have known. I should have really, but... There's only one. There can be only one. Paris has put a wrap as they can squeeze through small gaps, chew through metal, and to get to anything that they want, which, yeah, fair enough. You know, they're going to get wherever you want them or wherever you don't want them to be. Uh, until someone puts a piece of cheese on a massive mousetrap and then you know, you're done. You know, rats don't actually like cheese that much. Well, a good, a good strong cheddar would win anyone over, even <laughs> even a vegan. Hold on, that's a, that's, the that's, best that's way a, to re- get that's a, a revelation for a, a, a quip, just a quick quip. Well, I think we should hang on that comment a little longer. <laughs> think about that one, guys. Think about that. Every everyone they who heard that. They much bacon. Whoa! In in all the in all the films and TV shows, and they talk to to vegetarians and vegans, and I feel really bad for actual genuine vegetarians and vegans over this. That that people that that there's this assumption that that you would sell your soul for for bacon, you'd sell your ethics and your morals for bacon, and I just think that's really short sighted. But if it was a good strong cheddar cheese, I, I imagine that people would drop their ethics and values for that. I mean, combine the two, nobody's safe. Cheese and bacon. <laughs> anyway, Kerry Nadine anyway. has put having a think and ruling out a sloth as 24-hour footage of the same branch would be rather dull. <laughs> they it definitely would. would have to see a cat as they get everywhere, down all the alleys and the houses. Uh, they'd be the best at getting the gossip. They would be, yeah. They would, especially as my cat, whilst I was away, Aaron can attest to this, was... Found fucking in our <laughs> in our landlord's house, <laughs> sitting on his climbed in through the top window and just sat on his keyboard. Yeah, of course. Well, he was he was basically downloading all the files and sending them to someone. Exactly. Do you, do you guys remember the Netflix Daredevil series? Oh yeah, it's great. Do you yeah. remember the the character called Turk, who's like in with all of the mob bosses? He's he's peddling guns all over the place. That character could be a cat if they did like an animal version of Daredevil. I could see that. Okay. I mean, that's a very niche form of it, but yeah. Um, Bill Henderson has put a golden eagle, impractical yet very cool. Yeah. It's probably going to get noticed, yeah. <laughs> Jen Babs uh, has said, I don't want to spy on people. They do it all for us and splattering it all over Facebook. Whoa. That is the real answer. <laughs> Fantastic. Meta. There we go. Very Why meta. employ animals or even humans when people do it for themselves? People just do it for themselves for themselves. free. Mm. And we've got Colton Flanagan, uh, definitely a herring girl, uh, as they're already watching us. Now, we've then got Catherine Ames, who's replied to that. I have one now perching on the box room still every day. Uh, Not very subtle as a spy, though. I call them window lickers as they actually drool in the glass. (laughs) (laughs) You've got some very odd gulls there, um, to which Colton has replied. Uh, they don't need to be subtle. Nobody can stop them, as they are inevitable. Inevitable. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's what you said. <laughs> Danny Ke- uh, Kevin uh, said, "Depends. I would use a cute dog in most countries, apart from those where dogs are on the menu. Uh, in those countries, <laughs> they might use maybe a cow." <laughs> what? Okay. 
And well, Jacqueline... so that, that would only work in India because we eat cows here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think if I've understood what Gareth read out, does he mm. mean that in the countries where they eat dog, supposedly they use a cow as well? They, they, yeah. Also, even if the cow was a safe bet, like it's not going to get in the buildings for people to not be noticed. <laughs> you never know; cows will sneak in anywhere. And they're notorious for not being able to get back downstairs, are they? Well, yeah. <laughs> I've never yeah. tried putting a cow upstairs. <laughs> My cow is stuck upstairs. <laughs> My spy. <laughs> this, this is why me and Gareth have never been to your upstairs, isn't it, Drew? Because it's not that you don't have one that you've told cow. us. It's, it's no, that you've got cows. a cow up there. Their the cows are all up there. Back down. Well, but we also can't get up because they're <laughs> all crowded. Loads of them have walked up there and now it's, it's just blockaded. <laughs> it's just smuggling bovids. <laughs> Oh dear. Not intentionally. If they and see the, the stairs, fun... they want to go up. So they just can't get back down. I can do this. The, the final one we have uh, comes from Jacqueline uh, Rennie, and they've just basically put an emoji of a squirrel or a chipmunk, possibly. Yeah. Um, I can't quite tell from the, uh, oh, yeah, the emoji as to what, what, whether it's a squirrel, a squirrel or a chipmunk, but it's definitely... One of the two, which yeah, that, yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, squirrels would. Yeah, they're they're pretty much everywhere. Mm. Probably so, even better than a rat, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, would be somewhat less afraid of it. Yeah, which is odd because all you have to do is put a fluffy brush on the end of its tail, and people go, "Oh, Nick, cute." But hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, this week's question that we have for you, which will be coming up on our Facebook page, is. Based on uh, Drew's description of our fantastic gorilla horse, what animal would you want to ride if you could into battle? Well, specifically fact, into battle. Yes, well, specifically into battle, or even just into the centre of town, you know, to, to make your statement that you're here. You know, uh, you're riding into town, alive or extinct, both are fine. What are you guys uh, riding into town on? Come to me last, please. <laughs> okay. 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 We well we did discuss this, you and I, before we slapped that record button. I think a terror bird is a, a good shout. That's one that Gareth suggested. I thought, yeah, taking that. Yeah. Terror bird, a terror fun. bird would be great because war horses were notoriously bitey and uh quite aggressive in themselves as well. But I mean, imagine how much aggression comes from that terror bird that you've you've got the head and then you've got whatever you you're wielding. <laughs> but it does have it does have the most puny little wings, though. That doesn't matter. That doesn't it's matter. I can. A bit funny. Yeah, but you know, if if I'm riding this thing as a mount, I can I can embellish it. I can uh-huh. I can make those wings. I can make them bigger. I could disguise them with something. It could be wearing some sort of like scale armor, which would make it look even cooler. It'd make it look like some sort of wyvern. This is true. This is true. This is a good call with um with I mean... some scale armor. Part of me wants to uh, to go with the obvious. Yeah, I'm going to ride a T Rex. Mostly, yeah, if you're so vanilla. And uh, I'm, this is this is what I'm saying. This is a, a nice thought. It's not where I necessarily would go with, but purely just because of the fact that I have ridden a T Rex that time. Yes, fair. There is a video that exists out there on the internet of me riding on a T Rex. Well, an animatronic one, obviously, um, as it sort of jolts around and. Um, I held on for dear life. It wasn't the best looked after <laughs> T-Rex, was it? <laughs> not, I'm, not really, I'm just, no. I'm just surprised that it didn't fall apart 
uh, <laughs> with with me sitting on it and me falling to my death as it sort of collapsed in on itself. But <laughs> it held strong. But if I had to pick an, uh, one to go with to actually ride in, I'm going to go with uh, something that is going to be quick to terrify. And it's actually something that you suggested, Drew. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Megalania. I'm going to sit oh, on the back of a yeah. giant monitor lizard as it comes flying towards you yeah. at uh, in- incredible speed. Or if I had to pick a living animal, a white rhino. Well, they tried yeah, that. Fair enough. I th- uh, well, they tried it with Indian rhinos and it didn't work very well. Yeah. Ooh, Indian rhino, that's a very good one. Too. Yeah, but they, they yeah, did we... try that. Yeah. <laughs> you can, They're you just can a bit too grumpy. <laughs> Yeah, you can find pictures mm. of the armor that they put around them, but yeah, no, it didn't it didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. It it now comes to your turn. What are you uh what are you riding on? Well, I have the same honorable mention as you did, the T-Rex. And I also kind of argue with not argue, but I dispute your your uh claim about the giant monitor. I think if you wanted to go for fear factor, there are a few animals that have walked this earth that would that would cause the fear-induced chaos of the uh you riding into battle on a t-rex would my choice however would be do you know the historical war between the egyptian pharaohs and the west african greek empire uh i think it's the seleucids oh uh, seleucids yeah yeah so that's the only time in history where african elephants who were being were being ridden by the the egyptian military uh, came face to face in battle with the Asian elephants that were being used by the ancient Greeks, um, and per- apparently Persian, Persian elephants. I think I think it's a now extinct sub either subspecies or in its own species of of elephant that the um that the Greeks and the and the Persians were using. It may have been, but it says they were, they were I, I had to Google to it because I couldn't remember. Oh. Um, but yeah, uh, well, be that as may, um, it was my choice would actually be something that I think like the effect on the African elephants is that they were scared into fleeing the battle by the Asian elephants or the, like the, the Persian. I'll need to look into that again. Cause I'm, I was pretty sure it was Asians, but um, they are related to the Asian elephants, but I think it's a now extinct relation to Asian elephants that they, the, the ones that they actually use around that era, which, which is a shame because the world needs more elephants. I think. Well, yeah. Um, but I would I would actually go down the elephant route. So I've got two two, two answers because if it's land based battle, then of course I'm going into battle on a woolly mammoth. <laughs> I, I love those things, and, and also it's like the closest, as not the closest, I suppose, but it's it's another kind of animal that's quite a bit like an oliphant uh, from Middle well, Earth if you or, to go oliphant, or a banther. You'd be better going for the Colombian mammoth, which is bigger than the European steppe mammoth by a long way yeah but are they as cuddly they don't have the fur no, no they are no. more like a giant elephant than they are yeah well that would be my land-based choice and uh, then i reckon after that it's got to be that mosasaur if you're in the in the water <laughs> i'd be taking out all everybody's submarines on my mosasaur mm. i'm sure I got- I, there's n- there's no way that they could take out submarines just so that if anyone. They're also not anywhere close to that size. <laughs> no. You'd be better riding an orca or a blue whale or something. No, I want a mosasaur. Fair enough. For again, for fear factor. You imagine that coming at you. Orcas yeah. like orcas like, oh, it's an orca, it's Disney. No, those things are terrifying. I, I know they are. <laughs> it's something that we're gonna come on to, I'm sure, at some point again. Well, there you go. 
let us know what you would want to ride into battle or ride into the middle of town to uh, to impress on, and you can do that on our Facebook like page. Lady Godiva. Uh, like Lady Godiva. Like Lady Godiva. If she had her choice of what she would have rode, ridden, or, uh, ridden in on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose she did. It was a horse, really. So She did, yeah. She, yeah. She, she, she had choice of what she wore also, but uh, didn't bother with that. So if you want to um, to let us know, you can do that by putting it on our Facebook page. Uh, we do also have an email this week. And has this actually come in as an email, Aaron? Yes, it has come in as an email this time. A legitimate uh, just, email. A legitimate email, yeah. Yeah, wow. so this, this is a genuine email that came in to us. Uh, it's from one of our listeners, Victoria Smith. Now, it's quite a personal uh, one about career paths and career changes and such, such. So I've I have contacted her directly to say that she'll get a, a proper answer from from uh, from Gareth. It's addressed to Gareth after we've done it on the podcast. But because it's quite a, a relevant question, I will paraphrase it so that it's it's not worded exactly how she worded it. But the core essence of the question will come across. So it says, dear Gareth. I hope it is all right to email. I listen to your podcast and really enjoy it. You all seem to have come on interesting journeys to where you are now, and I'm looking for a bit of, of, of advice and not sure where to start. So she says she's just entered her mid-40s now with three school-aged children, and she's always wanted to work in the zoo and wildlife environment. She's always been passionate about uh, animal welfare. Uh, however, she went down a different route originally. So she's also mentioned that she's been doing a little bit of volunteering for for roughly about two years, um, doing it once or twice a week where she can fit it in, and that uh-huh. she's coming to the end of a uh, the the first year of a qualification at Sparshot College, which is uh, really good. Yeah, myself and Gareth have both been through that, and ultimately she would love to be a zookeeper. Um, however, she knows that it's mega hard to get into this profession. And she says that she doesn't have age on her side and she'd be competing either with older, more experienced people or younger uh, people who also have more experience. I'll finish with the last paragraph of, of her email. It says, if you've made it this far, thank you for reading. If you respond, thank you so much in advance for your time. It is very much appreciated. Kind regards, Vicky. So yeah, uh, of course, just to say the, the first bit right off the bat, uh, it's always all right to reach out to us via email, whether you want it to come from all of us or just one of us specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, since you addressed it to Gareth, as I have said to Victoria herself that I've passed it on to Gareth, Gareth can answer that directly through email uh, once he's had a chance to, to read the full extent of your email. But I figured we'd paraphrase it and I'd um, open it up to the entire podcast to just comment on the general nature of your question here. Uh, so other people might benefit from it. So Gareth, since it was directed at you, you can you can start. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, well, it's nice to uh, that you thought that I would have some sort of educated guess, I suppose. She, you know, she assumes because um, you're the professor that you're the oldest. <laughs> well, I am the oldest. Oh, you are the oldest, yeah. Well, I think what she wants us to know how you yeah. how, and I think what will benefit our listeners as well is how we got into zookeeping, and also how we see the path into zoo, the different paths there is to get into zookeeping. Um, <laughs> Well, I would personally um, say that what you're doing is is the right sort of track for if you're wanting to get into zoos. It is one of those things that some people have a bit of a 
a sea change in life and they or it was a passion that they wanted to do and i wouldn't discount yourself out entirely just based on on age there are no, no. numerous people who've gone into doing that career later on in in life and if you've got the the underpinning knowledge and and passion that you've you know you may have had for years beforehand then you should transition into it a lot easier uh, in some ways than someone coming at it completely fresh as long well, as Gareth, you've, you've you've worked with uh some of the the new students the new up-and-coming students yeah. that are going to get into it i mean um the stories that i hear i think she's way and above quite a few of them well definitely so that's <laughs> that that's kind of where I, i'd come at it as well is a lot of recently graduated sort of students from colleges and that will, will go into zookeeping. They'll have the idea in their head. And and I must admit, I was probably the, the same as well, in that you know what you want to work with, but you feel very rigid about doing anything other than the animal you wanted to work with because that's not what you wanted to work with. And yeah. a lot of a lot of people go straight in and they instantly get put off by working with a completely different animal and then get bored with the whole situation and don't really want to do it or have uh, a very simplistic view on the working environment. For instance, you know, sort of going, yeah, no, I'll be fine here for, I could, I could work here for my entire working career. When I feel if you're coming at it from uh, having already been in the working world, you're going to have more of an understanding of how, uh, relations between yourself as the employee and the employer should go and what sort of things you should be looking for when you uh, when you go into any sort of new workplace so you you're probably better off in that sense that you've got that previous experience regardless of what the job is also management skills and just being able to work as a part of a team are things that are present in all job roles and I've known people who worked on pig farms and then became a zookeeper years later and ended up working with rhinos because the skills were were transferable um, but also because they'd worked in sort of an industrial side of things they had that that management and bookkeeping and all of that sort of side of things that was transferable as well, which are big skills that are needed in the uh, the zoo industry anyway, because there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of management of time and stock and things like that to actually be able to do stuff. Just before you even get to cleaning out the animals and stuff like that, it's, you know, mm. it's all those yeah. bits that come with it. But career-wise, I think the way that I got into it was I started volunteering um, after doing my initial work experience for in high school. And from there, I basically hung around until they <laughs> offered me a, a part-time job. But the biggest thing is you'll never meet a rich zookeeper, not unless they've got wealth that they brought with them. So yeah, it's one of those careers that you do it for the love of doing it. And it, it is because you enjoy doing that. So you'll never be rich off doing it. So I would almost say going into it, you've got to expect that you're going to take a, a real terms pay cut, which at the moment, anywhere, is kind of hard for everyone. But I would say that, yeah, there's lots of collections that you could end up working at and doing small uh, things at. And it is just waiting until a position opens up is really the only 
the real way I'd go with that. And there's an awful lot of rejection. You've got to get used to that initially because you will apply and apply and apply. And no matter how many qualifications you have, there is always going to be someone out there who has got more qualifications or more experience or happens to know the person. There's an awful lot of not what you know, but who you know in zoos. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so what that I need job, up... really. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it, it's often referred to as a dead man's shoes position in that you are waiting for either that person to leave or die so that that position opens up. And zoos are very reluctant to spend a lot of money to kill on... people. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on bringing in extra staff when they don't have to. So wow. it makes a, a sought after position. And there's always going to be people who do it for nothing. Yeah. They may not have any skills or qualifications or anything that would actually mean that they are of any use in a long-term situation. But if you can get 40 people who will turn up for like one week and, you know, sweep and clean and do all of that sort of stuff, you're not going to uh, spend extra money to employ an extra person. Even though so, you should. Although you should. Mm. Which is very true. So it's it's a bit of an odd one. It sounds like I'm trying to put you off but I'm not. If it's what you want to do, then go for it. Um, if you can, if you can do it, go for it. But there are an awful lot of barriers in the way. And that's, and that's before you even take into the fact that like, say you're coming into this after doing other careers. Um, there are always barriers into getting zoo jobs. You've got to be willing to move around. You've got to be willing to almost work for nothing as well. But it is that. rewarding. It is rewarding with what you can and get to do. So yeah, mm. you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, relatively quickly, what Gareth said about the fact that you've obviously done jobs before, presumably. Uh, yeah, presumably, <laughs> presumably. So you've already got a step ahead of a somebody who's just come out of university or out of college in the sense of no, you're not as young as them. Well, I mean, you might not. With some uh, obviously, some people go to the uh, older ages, but but you do have that real world experience. Real world experience, which is. Um, I'm not talking oh, school of hard knocks sort of Facebook things, but actual <laughs> real world experience, uh, yeah, which yeah. is a, a real, a real, real benefit. And it does sound like you're already doing the right thing, which is by, uh, which is by volunteering. So I also got into mine via, although I didn't, the, the actual zoo I ended up working at, I didn't volunteer there. I just got lucky. I did volunteer in other places um, and built up that, that repertoire. Um, and if you've been volunteering there for two years also, another thing you've got on your side too, is you probably already know people there. Well, yeah. you almost definitely know people there unless you've been <laughs> not talking to anyone it's at all. Bunch of strangers, and that also puts you in a good standing too, because of exactly what Gareth said—that it's who you know quite often rather than what you know. So, yeah, I, I don't really have much to add beyond you're already in doing. You're already doing all the right stuff, and I'll pass it over. Um, coming third. Drew and Gareth have already said much of of what I would have said too. I came in via volunteering. I didn't do any course in it until a few years after I got on the experience under my belt. And from all accounts, uh, a lot of the management that I talk to actually prefer experience over over the qualifications. That's not to say either is better than the one is better than the other. It's it's not. It's just that. 
they know that if you've got that experience, you might be able to get a course later on, but you've already got the the skills and knowledge to hit the ground running. So you doing two years of volunteering is fantastic. That's on your side. Yeah. It also means that, like they like the guys have said, you're known. It also means in the case of Dead Man's Shoes, it means that you're probably somewhere higher up the list than other people are for that for that place. They've, yeah, they may um, already have you in their sites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would also say that uh, three words to you, uh, which I feel are uniquely important to zoos. I mean, they're important to all jobs, but uniquely important to zoos and wanting to get a job in zoos. And that's patience, perseverance, and resilience. Just hang on in there. It's not just that it's a hard job to get into, but so many people want this job that you it is a waiting game. So just hang in there, tough it out, work hard. I'm sure you'll you'll find a spot. Uh, just to go over, kind of retread some ground that um, Gareth and Drew did, but with a slightly different um, perspective on it. Life experience and skills, you will have these by the bucket load compared to the people that come out of out of college. But remember this, not only are the, is the government expecting us all to work uh, ourselves a lot longer before we get to retirement age now, but also our knowledge of how to keep ourselves fit and healthy and in, in good functioning work in order is so much better now. So 40, mid forties, 50, mid fifties, isn't old anymore. It's not old. Like it was considered when, when the three of us were little, uh, you still got arguably many of your, of your more fun, best years ahead of you. I, I would, I would imagine. So, so I wouldn't say that age is against you there either, but that that's my, my thoughts on it. And so if you want to um, get in contact with us via email, you can do that by our email address, uh, which is the Nat History Cupboard at gmail.com. Um, we are also on Twitter and on Facebook, where we post up all of the different bits and pieces uh, throughout the week. And this week's question will be going up there as well. Um, you can find us on our fantastic T-Mill store uh, with all of our lovely merchandise. Um, and of course, you can find us on whatever podcasting service you're listening to us on. Uh, and if you would be so kind as to like, uh, leave us a review, put a comment, uh, all of that sort of thing helps us out immensely uh, and goes miles to basically pushing us further up some sort of algorithm that keeps us shut in a box somewhere in the corner. And interestingly enough, we have now just passed uh, within the last week, 20,000 listens to episodes. And that's all down to you guys out there. We have now had over 20,000 individual listens to episodes of our podcast. So uh, congratulations, you two. We've, we've, we've hit the 20,000 mark. We've done it. We've done it. Yep. You happy with it, Aaron? Uh, very much so, yeah. It's a, it's a good milestone. Cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you want to help add to that, go and listen to another episode. It'll be 20,001. But um, that just leaves me to say a big thank you uh, to my co-host big thank you Aaron you're very welcome if I may just jump on what Gareth's saying that just uh not to not to beat the the horse more but really the your comments and your your feedback your reviews the times you like it share it favorite it it, it really does help because it gets us seen uh Gareth mentioned the algorithm it's not just that it, it, it gets us seen by your friends your family whatever your whoever kind of looks at what you're following so yeah please 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 mm. and uh drew big thank you to you uh, Good horsey, horsey gorilla thing. uh yeah 
yep all that thank you yes and obviously thank you for uh, all, all the lessons guys and um yeah advertise this out so that anyone who's stalking you um will see us because <laughs> mm. we, we we want to hear from them to hear from people who are stalking us no people who are stalking people okay i mean that potential I think, listeners there i think that's yeah i think that's uh that's a listener uh like vein that we should be <laughs> we should be active actively <laughs> actively tapping yeah <laughs> okay uh and a big thank you to you at home for listening uh and we will see you next time here in the natural history cupboard bye 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 so horses you uh experimented a little bit <laughs> <laughs> what did it cost <laughs> no.